0: Hey, we are rapidly approaching the end times for this season, with only a handful of episodes left. One more until the final battle, then a few more to wrap up the last two, yes, two, plot lines of Lou's life. We'll have some time jumps after the final battle, but effectively Lou will remain the same. But who else will? Questions for another time. Let's see what the Dagda had to say. Previously, on Goddessy, having secured the Morrigan's involvement in the final battle... Lu has been given permission to take part in the skirmish battles with the Fomorians as both sides gather their forces. Samhain has come and gone. Now the only thing that remains is waiting on the Dagda's return, with the name of the location and the timing of the final battle. But when shall he return? Will he have the energy to make it? Welcome to Godyssey, Episode 23. The Last of the Pieces. The Spear sailed through their ranks, slaying 5, 10, 15, 20 Fomorians in half as many seconds. For his part, Lou barely noticed this. The more he fought with it, the more the Spear seemed to travel with a mind of its own, driven by a bloodlust he had been promised it had had. It knew who Lou's enemies were. It knew how to best destroy the enemy lines. Defending against it was impossible. It was a missile thrown from a powerful sling that could not be stopped by armor, by parried blade, by fleet foot. Dodging was the only recourse, and a temporary one, for it fed on fears and flew back to find its quarry, and when it did, they erupted in a shower of red, before the spear went after the next Fomorian, and the next, and the next. It was Lu's third battle since Samhain, as the frost began to settle on the gray hills. The previous two he had spent with Fragrak, the blade which belonged to his foster father, Mananan Maclear. Today, he had to do something else, had to train another part of him that over the last few months he had neglected. After throwing the spear of Assault and uttering the words as the line of the tawad de met the scores and scores of Fomorian monsters, nearing 500 in total, Lu had moved to the top of the hill as Medeir led the men and women of the line to take yet more land in the border between Connacht and Ulster, the sea hidden behind a hill. Taking out his foster father's sling, a gift he had been given from his time in Tirnanog, Lou took a stone from the ground and placed it between the knots, before letting it spin beside him. The spinning created a strange sound, a kind of gyrating noise Lou did not recall it making as a child but he was larger now, stronger, more precise with his aim. A skill he had to perfect, for in the coming battle it might save his life. It might save many lives, for that matter. Spinning the sling, he flung the rock at the Fomorian at the back, commanding the monstrous forces. Largely humanoid, with an additional arm coming out of his side, the stone caught him in the skull, hitting a vein and causing it to burst as the Fomorian commander fell to the ground, dead, before landing. His compatriots, all shocked at his death, all pointed to Lou and began sounding horns and drums, calling for retreat. Was this all he was going to get? Lou picked up another stone, spun it, and flung it fast. Another leader fell. Another stone, another leader. Four, then five, then six, before they disappeared over the hill, heading to their ships to flee. The battlefield was strewn with monstrous bodies, limbs cut from bodies, the Fomorians far outnumbering the Tuatha De Danann. In fact, by Lu's estimation, there appeared to be one body not yet dead. Lu spoke the words, Athabar, and the Spear of Assault returned to him, the radiant heat from its tip fading quickly in his grip. Lu leapt from the hill's sheer cliff top and landed 10 feet below, hurrying to the youth who lay dying. Medir held him as he breathed his final breath before Lu's arrival, his compatriots crying. Even Grim Medir joined them, frustrated. One death is too many, Lu admitted, keeping his voice low. He did not know this youth. He did not know most of them here. They were not of the Tari youth, but belonged to a different clan entirely, one that had been friendly to the clan of Turian. They would carry the body back and bury it among his kin, and Lu would be with them. As a representative of the king, he would need to be. Another few weeks out at battle, and Lu would be a seasoned veteran. They made a stretcher of sticks and reeds, and carried him. The wounded were not so bad as to be unable to walk, their wounds bound by tunics taken off at of the Fomorians. They traveled south into the hills of Connick, the shores of the Lochs not yet frozen. They left behind them a murder of crows, feasting on the bodies of the dead. Unworthy foes though they were, they were carrion all the same. It was nearing mid-afternoon when they came to the ford, sorrow replaced with a sad song sung by Medeir. Lou spied at first, stopping the company of twenty and stepping forward to investigate. What was the body of a dead beast of burden soon became clear to Lou as something more. The unclothed body of the Dagda, snoring loudly in the forded water. Medir, come quickly! Medeir gasped at the side of him, the Dagda's massive arm moving to his backside and scratching it. He was covered in mud, and his temples were exceptionally grey now, frayed and insane. Older, Lou realized, more haggard than he had ever looked before. The Dagda was still large, though, his stomach untouched by the ravages of his trials. Why is he just sleeping here? said Medeer, almost laughing. Part of his trials with the Morrigan. Collect his club and harp and cauldron. We have to get him back to Tara. Madeir looked back to the group. But what about... The body needs to go to the family and they can carry it. Our campaign must end prematurely. This is more important. Madeir knew that. He stopped arguing. With more reeds and sticks, far more, they made a way to drag the Dagda. Lou whistled and soon Inbar appeared from the stables of Tara, and though the Dagda was a giant. Lewin Medir helped the horse pull the giant. The journey took the better part of a week, and they met not a single soul on their trek, pulling as hard and as fast as they could, and not once during that time did the Dagda awake. It was not until the Dagda, covered in a cloak to hide his nether regions, was brought before the Stone of Fall that the druids of the court came forth and began applying their healing magics. The snores subsided, becoming something closer to mumbling, almost coherent in the mumblings, but saying a word Lou did not know. Moitura. The Dagda repeated Moitura again and again and again. When his blue eyes blinked open, they began to sparkle, but part of their luster was lost. The Dagda smiled. I suppose this means I survived. Noada gathered alongside the druids, smiled. You did, fortunately, for all of us. Moitura, is it? The Dagda stood, the cloak falling by the wayside, exposing him. Walking to the other side of the hill and down it a bit, he began to relieve himself in the woods, to the amusement of most gathered, all but Bridget, who was deeply embarrassed by her father. Returning, his daughter presented the Dagda with a cloak of white, and he donned it before continuing. Medir brought him his cauldron, and the Dagda began to produce a meal for himself. Naturally, first he fed everyone else around him. It was the night before Samhain when I first spied her, bathing in the waters of the ford of the Unshin, near the borders of Connacht and Ulster. She had discarded her cloak of raven's feathers and washed her feet, and she beckoned that I need pay the price. So in blood I did, and she did give me prophecy with a further gift of my love. I gave it for three days and three nights. When at last the gift of blood and potency was given, she gave me the final prophecy that we would meet her at the ford of the Unshin River, for the forces of the Fomorian that live there in the northern islands will arrive at Magshidni and combine with the forces of Balor. We face a host of almost a hundred thousand strong, but we have much magic on our side. When we march with the Morrigan, we travel to the final battle of us all. Nawada wore a look of confusion, but Moitura was to the south of that, far south of there, in deeper conic. The Dacta nodded. Aye, the first battle of Moitura, where we won Ireland from the Yakid and the Firbolg, was held there. This shall be the second battle of Moitura, and we shall litter the land with corpses. So shall they. A sacrifice of blood must be made to win the final battle. A somberness fell among the people there. The food distributed, they ate, many thinking. Of those that led the Tuathididanaan, Lu thought the most. Great grandfather, first you must know this: your son Dian Set has slain his son Mick. Do not ask the crime; you know it in your heart that it was jealousy at Mick's brilliance. He continues to build a magical well at Slan, which will keep our spirits tied to our broken bodies in the battle. I ask that you go to Slan near Bruna Boyne and assist him for a moment before the next task I ask you. Nuada, do I have commanded the forces of the Tuatha De dinan for the final battle? Nuada nodded. It is as you were destined to do, Lou of the Long Arm. Lou looked to Medir and Ogma. And how many forces are in total do we have? Ogma spoke, knowing the answer. We have two groups of three thousand, which can meet at the fort of Unshin and make a host of six thousand total. Vastly outnumbered, Lou expected no less. So they shall. We must gather the host and march. Indek is on his way right now, is he not? The Dagda burped in agreement then we must delay them. And who better for that job than the Dagda? The giant laughed. What did you have in mind, great-grandson? Offer them terms. Do what you must, for they will try to humiliate you. Delay them for as long as it takes for Indeck to arrive, and put them off their guard. Make them think we sincerely wish for peace. Dian Set will finish the well of Slan, and we shall assemble the full host of the children of Danu. Then, a month from Samhain's Eve, we shall bear down upon the Fomorians and destroy them, with the Morrigan as our guide and the Spear of Assault, ensuring our victory. Murmuring proved agreement. Agreement meant the plan was good. Lew was proud of himself. Ogma smiled. And do you think they will come? By their oaths to King Nawada they must come. So it was said, so it must be true. He was the master of oaths, and Lu was never wrong about them. Nawada smiled, slapping Lou on the back as Lou broke bread for himself. A finer plan we could not have asked for. The Dagda will head north and then to the camps of the Fomorians, where he will create discord long enough for us to gather our forces and meet the Morgan at the banks of the Unchin. Dean Set will finish the Well of Slan and man it with the healers and druids who are not warriors. Everyone else, prepare for battle. Ireland shall be ours. Many wished to speak to the Dagda, and were glad to, but Lou would wait for his turn, if he needed one at all. Lou was tired from dragging his giant great-grandfather across Ireland, but was glad he did. This was the breakthrough they needed, and a very detailed one at that. "'Son of Cian,' came a voice he did not recognize, and Lou turned to it. A woman, dark of hair with stormy eyes, a young boy at her feet, and her arms crossed, "'I almost recognize you,' he said, trying to place her. "'It was the storm. "'He knew the storm, but he did not know how to place it. "'Can I help you, daughter of Danu?' "'She placed a hand on her stomach, glaring at him. "'She was pregnant, he realized, and Lou began to remember more about her. "'He had seen her at the Cayley of Bridget. "'Oh, yes, a daughter of Danu am I. "'But my father is who I am more concerned about. "'My brothers. "'My son.' Look closely, son of Kian. I look into you and I see the eyes of my beloved Cian, but marked with cruelty instead of his cleverness. You may be his son, but you replace his spirit with the cruelty of a Fomorian and the frightful cunning of a Firbolg. He placed her at last. You were the daughter of Turian, the one my father was said to have ruined for marriage, dishonored, whatever their favorite term was. We never cared what they said of us. Ikar understood, but even if Ikarba and Brian and father never did, I loved your father. I was never allowed to marry him, for father believed Kian was beneath our station, but nonetheless. Here we are. The blood feud almost come to a close. Yet it is not, Lou. Kian is dead. And for his death, you killed my brothers and my father, who died of a broken heart. The clan of Turian is destroyed. In name. Not spirit nor in rage I loved your father but I loved my brothers too when this is over when all of this is over you will never be free of us have us hide in the hills I care not you will never be free of the blood of Turian and that storm will overcome you she smiled and said no more turning the child followed her looking at Lou with Turian's dark hair but familiar eyes he had only seen in his own reflection. Ogwin Medir came to him, placing a hand on both shoulders and pulling him back, for the Dagda's presence had led to a revel, a party the likes of which had not been held since Nuada's crowning and the singing of the Stone of Fall. Yet despite the festivities, Lu had a dark sense that she was right. He would never be free of his crime, no matter how dead the Fomorians or how appeased the fair folk were. Lu would never be free. goddessy is written researched and produced by greg wright additional writing and editing by sydney yeager who gives prophecy to discount him. music by the amazing scott buckley and in this episode derived entirely from his monomyth album check him out at www.scottbuckley.com.au want to support the show check us out on patreon in addition to early access episodes we'll be posting some fun behind the scenes stuff and prep work for the next season of goddessy soon Check us out on social media too and drop a line. We occasionally post pictures of mythological dogs. Got to see updates every Monday. See you next week.